BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. The reputation out there that I'm a jerk or something like that, which hey, and it is what it is, I guess. But, um, but you know, since I... Since I since it was announced that I was going to be here, I've heard from so many players that played for me. Uh, uh, players here, not just defensive backs, but linebackers and defensive linemen uh, texted me and said how happy they are for me. And I think if I was such a jerk, I wouldn't be hearing from those guys. No, no, Mike, people are phony. That's the explanation. They're just phoning. I mean, look, I got a reputation for being a jerk. I'm not going to sit here and list all the people who actually like me. Come on, Mike. I mean, come on. Come on. Own what you are. Own what you've become. You like that. You like that perception. You're a hard-ass old-school coach. Where's the gif of him and Kirk Cousins shoving each other? Zimmer's reputation in Minnesota is he was a jerk. They were happy when he was fired. The players had had enough of Mike Zimmer. Don't give me revisionist history, Mike Zimmer. You are what you are, and that's fine. That's fine. You were fine as a head coach. Three playoff appearances in eight years. That's fine. That's right around almost not fine. It's fine. But don't 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 give me this just because people sent me text messages saying congratulations all of a sudden I'm not who I am. Anyway, I was a jerk for saying that and I'm willing to admit it. Um, and my dog likes me. You, <laughs> people would send you text messages if you know you did it. I would send you a nice text message. So, you know, you do yes. it's it's, it's, yes, it's the same thing. Yeah, people are phony. You're a phony. <laughs> Here's a phony. That guy's a big phony. Uh, I don't know what you're referencing, but uh, yeah, I I would say I'm not a phony. It's not even Seinfeld. Yeah. What is it? I don't know what it is. It's a family guy. Uh, Peter was pretending to play a keyboard. You know how those keyboards will play their own songs? He was at a store Uh and he was pretending to play it. And this guy was all impressed until he realized Peter wasn't playing. And he said, you're a phony. So everywhere Peter went, like they milked the hell out of that bit. That guy was there yelling at Peter that he's a phony. All right. Um, Mike Zimmer is not a phony. 
Mike Zimmer is very authentic. What he was doing yesterday, or whenever that was, was the most phony thing he's ever done. I've never seen him not own it. But he's back in the NFL. He's back in Dallas. First time since 2006. And I will say this. I will say this. I wonder how he's going to get along with Micah Parsons. Because if it bugs Micah Parsons that people ask him for autographs in the airport, wait to get a load of Zimmer. That's all I'm saying. Oh, unless, you know, Mike Zimmer is going to coach him hard and Michael Parsons wants to be coached hard, right? If look, if Mike just Zimmer don't ask for autograph Micah, in the airport, if if Micah Parsons is put in positions to be successful by Mike Zimmer, I don't think that Micah Parsons is going to have much of a problem with Mike Zimmer. If, if he comes up with great game plans, if he gets uh, Micah Parsons more one on one rush situations so that he can get in there and, you know, set the league lead in sacks and, you know, bat balls and get tackles for loss and utilize his speed as a, as a terrific edge. Like, I don't think that there's going to be any problems. And Micah Parsons is a special of a player enough so that uh, he fits in any scheme, right? It's on the defensive coordinator to be, be able to put him in positions to win and to make plays. And I, I just tend to think that that's what players want, right? So if that happens, then I don't think we're going to see any problems. No, but if it so happens that the Cowboys defense gets worse, right? If Parsons is dropping back more than he should, if you know he is being utilized in such a way that doesn't maximize his capabilities, then that's going to be more of a problem than anything Mike Zimmer may or may not be in terms of his attitude or if he's cantankerous or not. The use of Micah Parsons is just one of the aspects, one of the most important ones of the defense moving forward. Here's Zimmer from his introductory press conference on how he can make the Dallas defense better. Hopefully I can. Um, you know, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel here. I mean, they've been pretty good. Uh, you know, I know there's been some situations where um, <clears throat> things haven't happened, but that happens in coaching. You know, it all happens a lot. So um, we're going to look at the, the players, try and figure out the best way to use them, um, put the scheme together. Um, and again, you know, we, we want to take the good things that they've done and maybe add a few more other things that we've done good in the past and try to try to make this thing manageable where, you know, we're disciplined and we're, um, you know, well coached, we're um, play together as a team. Um, you know, we try to we try to make sure everybody understands their role so that other people on the on the field can have success doing their job. You know, something Zimmer told me nine, ten years ago at the scouting combine, his dad was a high school football coach, and what his team did every year was dictated exclusively by who the players were. You got a year where the players, offensively and defensively, whatever system, you know, we were going to run the ball. We're going to be run heavy because that's what the players are. We got to change to a pass-heavy offense this year. You do what your players allow you to do, and that becomes important to the Cowboys because we just talked yesterday about whether or not Kyle Shanahan's willing to embrace a new system. If you change your system, you need different players. Mike Zimmer runs that 4-3 that the Vikings had some success with, not exactly the same as the Seattle defense. How much is he going to do what Dan Quinn did? How much are they going to change the system? What does that do? How flexible are you going to be in moving around Micah Parsons? Do you come up with a system that is irrelevant to where the guys are aligned pre-snap and what their base approach is 
play in and play out. How much creativity is going to be applied to get the most out of the pieces they have? That's all to be determined, but that's one of the realities of moving on from Quinn, who moved on to be the head coach of the Commanders, and then hiring a new guy who isn't a disciple of the Seattle cover three defense. So there will be some some flexibility there, and I think Zimmer is already hardwired from his upbringing with his dad to understand it's about players, and you come up with a system that gets the most out of the players that you have. Yeah, it, it, look, he still runs a four-down front, right? And so, you know, you talk about four, three, three, four, la, la, la. It's, it's more about four down because you don't – rarely are you playing three linebackers at a time anymore. So that's, that's one thing where you do have the continuity just in terms of the front structure. But when it comes to behind that, yeah, you're going to be doing probably some different things because you don't have Dan Quinn there anymore. And so how can Mike Zimmer best utilize the personnel that is already on uh, the Cowboys roster? And then are they going to bring in some guys that might have some familiarity with the Mike Zimmer structure of defense, maybe some former Vikings, right? Some guys who played across the league under some Zimmer disciples. And there are multiple teams that, that have uh, defensive guys like that. So We'll see what that means. Um, but I think the biggest thing the Cowboys have to do is just improve the disparity of the way they play at home and on the road. I mean, aside from the Packers game, obviously that was a home loss, um, which is why like it seemed like it was such a big deal for the Cowboys to get that number two seed so that they would be playing at home because they do play so much better at home than they do on the road. But that's the thing, you know, defense is supposed to travel. Let's see if Mike Zimmer can actually make that Cowboys defense travel in a way that it sort of has not over the last couple of years. That's an excellent point. And again, Michael Parsons is going to be the key to that. And if it all works yep. well, and if he's productive in that defense, it will be fine. But if there are issues and frustrations, Michael Parsons, I, he's got that podcast and he speaks his mind. And on one hand, I like it. On the other hand, it can create problems. And you think Mike Zimmer is going to be happy if Parsons is throwing shade, taking shots at Mike Zimmer directly or indirectly on that podcast? Hell no. And that leads to what we had on the show last Friday. This was the best interview of the week. Emmett Smith gets the, the platinum star for the best performance of the week. Because he went in on the Cowboys, and one of the things he did was he, you know, he, he made a reference to the idea that all these guys, you know, I got my podcast. No, no, it's about team. But don't listen to me. Listen to Emmett from last week's epic rant about where the Cowboys are and about Emmett's willingness to call it what it is. Here he is. I was completely surprised. Um, I know how disappointed I was as a player to see – that product put on the football field. Yeah. It is not becoming of the Dallas Cowboys mystique, respect, the brand. Right. It is not represent it's not the appropriate representation of the brand itself. Now, Jerry understand this these kind of words. Yeah. The brand. Right. The star. Right. Everything has to be pristine. Right. But this was not. Yeah. That right there was so disappointing. Not only to me, but to many of our fans, and including people that was sitting like, what is that? Yeah. It did not look good, and it wasn't a good look. I feel like, Emmett, at some level, that that's he's saying what he has to say to get people to keep showing up, to keep the Cowboys on TV, because like, you're not putting the actions to the words. No. You know what I'm saying? That, that, therefore, you lose credibility. And if you're losing credibility, 
you're losing respect. You lose respect, yeah. you have no honor. Right. And so at the end of the day, I agree to some level. Things have to, have to change. And, and I thought the reason why I was so convinced that he was going to get fired. Yeah, right. Because last year there was a whole lot of talk about, okay, yeah, this might be it. Right. If he doesn't perform this year, okay. Right. You're going to accept 12 wins and a playoff berth, but you're going to accept the way we got kicked out of the playoffs. Yeah, like dominated. That's, that's I mean, right. dominated. I mean, it's like it's like we went out there and played with our hands tied behind our backs. Yeah. Or we left our minds up in Frisco and didn't even take it over to AT&T in Arlington. Yeah. It was such a disappointing thing. I, I It was the – it was just bad. Now it's just—I mean, we're gonna play the whole damn thing again. It was incredible, <laughs> and um, I didn't set up the thought the right way. He said I was surprised at the beginning because the question was, "How surprised were you by the reaction or by the what was your?" Let me try that again. What was your reaction to the fact that Mike McCarthy wasn't fired? So right out of the gates, he was surprised that McCarthy kept his job, and he's willing to say what needs to be said. And I don't know what's happened that's given him the freedom to be as candid as he is because Jerry does a good job of keeping those guys, keeping them close and not having them, you know, go off. But mm-hmm. but there's reason to go off because – and, you know, Emmett talked about how much appreciation he had for the history of the game, for the history of the Cowboys. He didn't want – past players to be disappointed in him. He wanted to make them proud. And it's too much individuality. It's not enough team. That's going to be the challenge this year. Get guys to embrace team and get guys to feel like they need to live up to the star. Wearing the star, earning the star. Didn't they used to do that like they wouldn't put the stars on the helmet? Didn't Parcells used to do that? Like, you got to earn the star. The, the yeah, team that, needs to that earn that school. star this year. Yeah. Well, sometimes well, it works. Sometimes the basic stuff like that works. It's sometimes. Sometimes it does. I mean, I, I think what the issue is, is you have to have that mentality once you get to the postseason. Right. I mean, we've seen that Mike McCarthy can coach his way to 12 wins. Right? That, that's not been a problem. What's the problem is how do we approach it in the postseason? Right. How do we translate that success that we've had? over the course of the regular season into the postseason and then get multiple wins. So, or at least if you're the number one overall seed, maybe you only need one, but we need multiple wins so we can get to the conference championship game. And they have not shown that kind of capability. So what does that mean? What do you do? I mean, all of the stuff in the regular season almost does not matter unless the Cowboys completely fall apart early on in the year. Right. And if that happens, then I I don't know who takes over as head coach, but that's the kind of thing that you have to think about because Mike McCarthy's entering a lame duck year. Right. And unless the Cowboys show marked improvement in the postseason, I don't know how you bring him back because that's the thing that has been missing. And that's what I think Emmett Smith is really getting at. Right. You know, we can do all this stuff in the regular season, but when we get to the postseason, when the games really matter, when they really count, what are we putting on tape that makes us look like, we, hey, we know what we're doing. We're out here and we're coming here to win, you know, not just that, oh, I don't know. It's nice to be in the playoffs. Oh, it's nice to host a playoff game. Like, no, you got to put on that championship mentality. And so far under Mike McCarthy, they've not done that. Well, and I think part of the problem is, and I don't know the intricacies. I just know what I've seen from Mike McCarthy. 
as a head coach, dating back to every year since they won Super Bowl 45 in unexpected fashion as the sixth seed went on the road, beat the Eagles, went on the road, blew out the Falcons, went on the road, beat the Bears, beat the Steelers in AT&T Stadium before it was even AT&T Stadium in Super Bowl 45. What happened the next year in the postseason? They were 15-1 and in the regular season, and the Giants beat them at Lambeau Field. And when you see the Packers fail to live up to the potential and the expectations year after year in the playoffs, and here we are now, Cowboys right. failing to live up to the expectations, at some point it's the coach. And some, at some point it's as simple as this. We do what we do, and what we do works. What we do delivers 12 wins in the regular season. And then we get to the playoffs, and we just keep doing what we do. Oblivious to the fact that the opponent we're getting ready to play spent every waking moment getting ready for this game by, among other things, looking at what we do, looking for all of our tendencies and tells, looking for ways to exploit what we do and turn it around on us. And I think, based upon everything I've seen from Mike McCarthy since Super Bowl 45, he's not wired to grind creatively to number one spot his own tells and tendencies and number two to take advantage of the other teams i'm just we're just gonna do what we do what we do works and zimmer it's funny he admitted that after they got blown out by the eagles up seven nothing and they lost 38 seven in the 2017 nfc championship game he admitted and i'm paraphrasing here but it was along the lines of you know what i've learned this year once you get this far there's a lot of film out there that you've put out. You better be aware of what you've done, and you better be ready to break your tendencies. I think postseason success is much more about breaking your own tendencies than yes. anyone ever recognizes or articulates. And you got to put in the time. That's why this whole idea of the coaching carousel happening as you're interview. I'm interviewing for jobs while I should be doing everything I can to break my own tendencies and to try to spot the other team's tendencies. I shouldn't be doing four job interviews. I should be focused on the task at hand because the task at hand gets tougher when you get to the postseason. Well, maybe that's why the Chiefs have been so successful, right? Because their coaches have not, by and large, not been trying to prepare for all these other interviews, right? And look at what, I mean, to your point of, hey, you're breaking tendencies. Look at what just happened in the Super Bowl. Right, You get Nick Bosa crashing down really hard on your running back. And, oh, by the way, Patrick Mahomes has the ball, and he's running down the field for 20 yards because it's not something that the Chiefs have shown on film. Right, They pull out the, the Tom and Jerry, which is the variation of the corn dog, something they've really not run, right? But they pull it out at that time because it's something that they added late in the week. Hey, it's a bit of a tendency breaker. You know, What can we do that we haven't done yet that we can then run something that will be successful. Boom, that's how they win the Super Bowl. So I think to your point there, you have to be able to self-scout. You have to be able to say, hey, what have we shown throughout the course of the season that we can play off of? I mean, Kyle Shanahan is you know, famous for doing things like this as well. You know, you make it look like it's something. You maybe run a play because you want to run something off of it, maybe not this week, but maybe even next week, right? So those are the kinds of things where I think you're right, Mike. You have to be able to say, what are we going to do that is different in the playoffs as opposed to we're just going to do what we do. And we have to be strategic about how we run things so that when we are in the biggest moments of games, we can pull things out and they're going to be in a better position to be successful.
And it also goes into the off-season planning. We have ideas. We have things we're going to save for the postseason. And we're going to have the confidence we're going to get to the postseason. We don't have to use these things to try to get a playoff spot. We're going to save these for later. And the other side of it, too, the human element, just the overall wear and tear and fatigue and strain of going through a football season. We're talking about strategies that you employ in the last two miles of a marathon where you're just trying to hold mm-hmm. it together. But that's where the greats separate from the good. The greats know what needs to be done in those moments. They have experience in those moments, successful experience. Mike McCarthy's got plenty of experience in those moments. You keep losing, something's going on here. This is not just bad luck. It's not just a bad run at the blackjack table. You're involved in this. You have a role in this. You have to shape your destiny. And there's a fine line between confidence and delusion. And I think some of these coaches allow themselves to become deluded into thinking that everything we did during the regular season worked. Let's just keep doing what we've done. Let's treat this like any other game. It's not any other game. It's not for the coaches and the players, which is why the Chiefs have three Super Bowls in the last five years, because the coaches and the players recognize this isn't just any other game. And we better do everything that we've done to get here better we need to be more creative we need to be more diligent we need to be more creative we need to i said creative twice we need to be more everything we can't just rest on what got us here yeah i need to be more creative bro apparently 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 i need to be more creative i've i've exhausted all my plays though super bowl's over i don't have any left Mm -hmm. we're planning for next year all right let's take a break we've exhausted all of our topics because you know, when we don't have anything else to talk about, we ask you to ask us questions so we can fill a segment answering your questions because we couldn't think of anything else. And I'm just kidding, Courtney. I'm just kidding. You do a great job producing the show. It just fit well with what I was saying. More PFT Live when we open the mailbag right after this. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio... And producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait but marines will always be there they are the constant in the chaos no matter the battlefield marines adapt to win defeating every shifting threat protecting our nation's future the few the proud the marines welding instructor alex declare knows firsthand how vr training platforms like forge fx can help meet the demand for skilled workers Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Here's Sauce Gardner. I was in Vegas, and long story short, somebody did a card trick, and I'm a million percent that the cards were in my palms. At the end, 
He said, now it's a block of glass, move your hand, and a block of glass was in my hands instead of the cards. I'm not going back to Vegas. <laughs> That's great. That's great. But, I mean, he was in the room when O's the Mentalist did all of his voodoo stuff, whatever that was, and ultimately was right when he called up Nicole Hardman and said, who's your team playing in the Super Bowl? And he said, the 49ers. And he was right. <laughs> and he was more right than anybody would have recognized. Nicole Hardman's team did beat the 49ers in the Super Bowl. So O's, check mark for you. Um, that leads to our first question in today's PFT mailbag. Our good friend Tom Marshall, a Red Zona UK, who was in Las Vegas for the Super Bowl. Could Vegas eventually knock out one of the traditional Super Bowl cities from contention like Tampa or Phoenix? It was great fun as long as you didn't drive on the strip after 3 p.m. You know, we talk about a rotation, but it never really settles into a rotation. Because there's always a city that you don't think is in the rotation that ends up in contention, like Atlanta. Arthur Blank said last week, we wrote about this yesterday or the day before, he told Dan Kaplan of frontofficesports.com that they're looking at the Super Bowl for 2028 or 2029. The way it works now, they approach you. It's not a bidding process anymore where all the cities come to the table. So if they're talking to the NFL about it, the NFL's already decided, we'll go back to Atlanta. So I don't know what the rotation is. L.A., Las Vegas, Miami, well, Arizona, and then there's New Orleans from time to time. But it's been 12 years for New Orleans, but they're in the rotation, aren't they? And then there's Houston that pops up, and then you got Atlanta, and then you got the quid pro quo whenever, mm-hmm. you know, some government is willing to defy the will of the people and pay a billion dollars for a stadium, they get one too. I bet we'll be back in Jacksonville one of these days, despite the lack of adequate hotel space where they had to bring in cruise ships. This was before I was going to Super Bowls. But they're going to kick in a billion dollars for a modified and renovated stadium in Jacksonville. They may get another one. Minnesota got yeah. one every time they got a new stadium. Detroit got one with every new stadium. So I don't know what the rotation is. But there's no way there can be a rotation without Las Vegas. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I thought Las Vegas did a great job of hosting it. The, the one problem, and I was talking to somebody from Vegas about this, is that you, know, you don't have the public transportation infrastructure on the Strip. And if you got like a tram that just went from, I don't know, around Mandalay Bay all the way down, like the um, Las Vegas Boulevard, boy, that would really help. So that's something that maybe Vegas needs to think about. But I, I mean, I had a great time in Las Vegas. I love that it was centralized and that, you know, you can you didn't especially because where we were saying you really didn't have to walk very far in order to get to what you were doing. But yeah, I mean, I, Nashville is another one of those places, you know, once they get their new stadium, I would expect that we'll be there for a Super Bowl, too. There have been occasions where after I left a Super Bowl host city, my opinion was it should be there every year. And Mm -hmm. there are two now on my list where I could say it should be there every year, Miami and Las Vegas. And I think, you know, the first time in Vegas was one of the reasons why there were so many people there because there were so many people that came just to be in Las Vegas in the days preceding the Super Bowl. And then they left. A lot of people left on Saturday night or Sunday morning. They didn't go to the game. They just came to be in Vegas. The next time in Vegas, there'll be less novelty, there'll be less sizzle, and there'll be less people, I think. But I'd say Miami or Vegas, like, they need to work something where you get to Miami and Las Vegas more often than they do. And I know you would want it to be in Los Angeles as often as possible so you don't have to, you know. I'm not you. A lot of people love that stadium. Yeah. I, the, I doesn't. Feel, like, it didn't feel like a Super Bowl to me when traveling. it was here because I, it was just it was just going to work. I, I go to I go to SoFi all the time. I go there for Rams games, Chargers games, concerts. Like 
nah, like put it somewhere else. I mean, I know it's coming back here soon, but, like, but like, I, I, I want to go somewhere. Like, I was surprised San Francisco got another one with all that spread out. Me too, like, honestly. You know, the, the, the media activities in San Francisco and the stadium's two hours away or whatever it is in traffic. <laughs> like, I, I think one of the reasons they got it when they got it was because some of the other candidates, like L.A., you know, they're, they're hosting World Cup games and there wasn't a clamoring to try to host the Super Bowl that year. That's what opened the door for Levi's Stadium. But I, I didn't mention them as part of this rotation. I don't think there is a rotation, but there needs to be one. And Las Vegas and Miami need to be on it. And New Orleans. And New Orleans. Yes. It shouldn't be yep. 12 years between Super Bowls for New Orleans. And it wouldn't have been 12 years. I think it was going to be this year, but it butted up right against Mardi Gras, mm-hmm. given the Easter calendar that I can never figure out when Easter is going to be, but this wasn't a good year, so they were able to kick it to next year. All right, we'll kick it to the next question. David Boston, forget running and scrambling, just looking at pure arm talent. Who are you taking, Josh Allen and Mahomes or John Elway and Dan Marino? It looks like we got to take them both together. So who are you taking, Hmm. Allen and Mahomes or Elway and Marino? Arm talent only. I mean, this is not really a, a fair question. I mean, like I, I, I never saw Elway and Marino play. So it's, and as I've seen highlights, but it's not the same as, you know, like my professional career has been covering Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. So it's like, I, I, I would have to toss this question because there's no, I can't pick Elway because I never really saw him. You know, like that's not, what would you say? Well, if we're going to look at pure arm talent, Elway and Marino, just because Marino's arm talent was off the charts, off the yeah. charts. I remember interviewing at one of the Super Bowls about how he got that quick release. It was something his dad taught him at a young age. Like, hey, if you and it, it's instinctive. If you want to be the best possible thrower of a football that you can, the less time you give people to react to what you're doing, the more effective you're going to be. You still have to deliver the ball with velocity and accuracy. But if you can get rid of the thing like a Cobra strike, that's going to be an advantage. And it ended up being a huge advantage. Now, Mahomes is special because he can go from any platform. He can go from any arm angle. He's a shortstop playing quarterback at the highest possible level. I mean, if I, I – yeah, so that's what makes it difficult. And they're, they're all great. They're all great. But yeah. Marino, if we're just talking about arm talent. That lightning-fast release – that that would make him and Elway just above Mahomes and Allen. But Mahomes is a level of special that, number one, we still haven't seen fully bloom for all of his career. Like, right. we're, we're, he's only six years in as a starter, and we already have him in the pantheon of all-time great quarterbacks. He's not going to just fall off the face of the earth. He's not going to go Steve Blass. If you want a dated reference that takes you to baseball, he's not just going to all of a sudden lose it. He's only going to get better. So th- it's right. it's. It's, I don't want to say it's pointless at this point, but both of them. I mean, by the time Alan Mahomes are done, we may say both of them, but it's going to be yeah. largely because Mahomes is just getting started, in my opinion. Well, yeah, and I, I don't know. I, I would, if we're talking about just pure arm talent, right? I, I was in the stadium. This is when I used to work for the Rams, and we used to have access to it, um, the workouts, right? And so I would kind of like sneak into the bowl and watch um, in Lucas Oil Stadium when the quarterbacks would start throwing. And I remember Josh Allen just like dropping back and just yeeting that thing down the field. I mean, it was going like 60, 70 yards. So, I mean, we know that he can throw a ball down the field as well as anybody. 
I mean, Steph Diggs catches that long pass down the right sideline. We may not be talking about Kansas City as Super Bowl champions. Who knows? But yeah, I, I, I think that both of those dudes have great arm talent when you're talking about Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. And so, I mean, if, if you're talking about guys that obviously know how to throw a football and do it very well. I mean, you know, look, John Elway led the drive and disappointed my family greatly. So it's not like he doesn't have arm talent either. I guess Jim Kelly is another one where I think of like those sort of older school quarterbacks. Like when I was a baby that were really, really up there You talk about the K gun. That's, that's something that I also would think about as a guy with like pure, just arm talent and can yeet it around the field. Jordan Davey asks this question. Do you think Dak Prescott has enough leverage to command a fully guaranteed contract similar to Deshaun Watson? Dak Prescott has a ton of leverage, and Jerry Jones will never admit how much leverage Dak Prescott has. (laughs) Dak Prescott has the kind of leverage that Jerry Jones would have utilized and exploited to the fullest possible extent in any business dealing he ever did. And it's all Jerry Jones' fault. They didn't pay Dak after three years. They didn't pay him after four years, and then after five years, they realized he had them over a barrel because all he had to do was one more year under the franchise tag, and then he walks away like Kirk Cousins walked away from Washington. They replaced the second year of the franchise tag with a four-year, $160 million contract that was structured in a way to force the Cowboys to redo it now because his cap number is $59.4 million, and if they don't redo it now, he can walk away with no ability to keep him with that $59.4 million cap charge this year and $35 million plus in dead money next year. He's got more than $90 million over the next two years without an extension that plays games and moves money around and pushes cap dollars. So he, he has leverage to do whatever he wants to do. He is only going to be limited by his own conscience in how far he is taking this and how many cap dollars he's leaving behind to have a team around him. That is the only limitation on how far he wants to take this. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, you talk about having somebody over a barrel. I mean, look, the way Dak Prescott has played this has absolutely benefited his financial present and future. So if you're the Cowboys, are you inclined to sort of get start setting that precedent? Right. Where, you know, we've said that the Deshaun Watson contract is an outlier. And at this point it is. Um, But. If you are Dak Prescott and you want to force the issue and deadline spur action, right? So this has to be done soon. Um, This is something that, yeah, you you might want to think about, but I don't, I don't know that Jerry Jones is going to be very inclined to give Dak Prescott a fully guaranteed contract. I think he's going to want to do everything in his power to not do that so that he's not setting that kind of precedent for other teams. Cause you know, even though, they don't, they don't have to, they don't have to openly collude to collude. Right. So it's like, you don't want to be that guy. Here's the other side of it, too. Most quarterback contracts are, as a practical matter, guaranteed fully. And the way they could structure this, even if it's not fully guaranteed, it is fully guaranteed. I mean, the four years, $160 million, fully guaranteed as a practical matter because they're not going to cut him. The structure can make it impossible to cut a guy, so it is guaranteed. It doesn't have to be. That's what was so weird about it. They didn't have to do it. The Browns didn't have to make it all fully guaranteed to still make it fully guaranteed as a practical matter. All right, one more real quick. Tatum in Pittsburgh. I'm intrigued by this. What happens first? An expansion team in a new domestic market or an expansion slash current team permanently moved into an international market, and how soon could any of those scenarios take place? Well, this is easy if I look at it technically, because if they expand, it's not going to be one team. It's going to be two. Right. You can't just yes. add one team. 
You can't ha- you can't do that because then one team is on a bye every week of the season. That's not going to work. You have to have two. The more likely scenario here, sorry folks in Jacksonville, as of right now, until we have the paperwork signed, sealed, and delivered to get a billion dollars in taxpayer money to renovate the stadium there, the obvious alternative that they don't even have to mention is you don't give us what we want, we'll just move the team to London where we have a place where we play games every year. That's, that's a no-brainer. So between the two, if you have to give me one or the other, it's relocation of the Jaguars to London. Not saying they will, not saying they should, but we can't be naive to what's staring us right in the face. If they don't get what they want in Jacksonville, they're going to take the team to London. Yeah, uh, but I, the, but that's that's relocation. That's not expansion, right? If we're talking purely expansion, no, but, then... but it's but that's the question: expansion or current team permanently moved into an international market? That was the question. Uh, yes, expansion uh, or right. current. Yes. Okay. Sorry, I, I misread the question, but I, I think that yes. either way, it's if you're going to say, okay, we're going to expand the league, as you said, you, you can't just do one. And I think it would be one. that. Right. So you would probably do both, right? If you're going to expand the league, you are probably going to say we're getting into a new domestic market and we're getting into an international market somewhere, right? Whether that's London, whether maybe it's Canada, you know, maybe put team Mexico. I don't know. But like that to me is where that would happen. And depending on what happens with Jacksonville, that could happen sooner than later. I mean, if you're talking about expansion, I don't think that would be until like something like eight to 10 years, but depending on what happens in Jacksonville, then relocation, that could be more like four to five. Am I off? Well, let me just be clear on this too. I'm only answering the question about expansion. I did say at one point during the season, after quarterbacks were dropping left and right, if I ever mention expansion again, punch me in the face. Because I thought the NFL (laughs) would, in order to increase inventory, because they're never going to get to 18 games. Unless they decide we're going to lock out the players and we're going to make them cry uncle at the next CBA talks at the end of the decade, early next decade, and we're going to get to 18 regular season games, which would be a mistake to do. I don't think the human body can take it. The only way to increase inventory of games is to expand. Yes. There aren't enough quarterbacks. There aren't enough quarterbacks. There weren't enough for 32 teams this year. There aren't going to be enough for 34, 36, 38, or 40. So, uh, Expansion is going to be a tough sell. So of those options, yeah, if they don't give the Jaguars what they want in the next couple of years, maybe sooner, that ship literally is going to sail across the Atlantic Ocean to England. And Jaguars fans, you can get mad at me. For I, I remember folks in St. Louis used to get mad at me when I would say you're going to lose the Rams. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're talking about. Quit making shit up. That's what I'd hear. And then when the Rams left – you know, what was it? It was crickets coming out of St. Louis because they were too busy mad at the Rams to be mad at me for being right. And they should have, you know, not, I don't know what they could have done because Dan Kroenke seemed to be determined to move that team. Jacksonville's got a position and this is how it works. This is stadium economics. This is how the game is played. You better cough up the money. It's a nice football team you got there. It'd be a shame if you lose it. That's the message that the Jaguars are currently sending to Jacksonville. All right, let's take a break. Mentioned Kirk Cousins a little bit ago. Vikings have some decisions to make about him and others because his contract is expiring and they can't use a franchise tag to keep him around. We'll discuss that next here on PFT Live. I'm going to 
to do to work this out so we keep both of you He's guys in you Minnesota. GM, KJ. What do we He's do? making you the GM. That's, that's, that's above me, man. That's, that's above me. Like I said, I, I did my work, so that's that's on them. Right. Yeah, that is kind of our attitude is, is we do have a lot of work to do between September and February. And then when it gets to February and March, now we kind of are passive, and it's like, all right, we hire an agent. The team has their role. Let's just see what happens. And we kind of become like everybody else. Yeah, just kind of sit back and be bystanders, yeah. right? But, our work's done. But, like, you got to think a little bit, like, we got something going here. No doubt. Like, we don't want to no break doubt. this up, right? Oh, no doubt. I think, like I said, an ascending football team and, and, a, and a locker room that you like being around, players you like playing with. Right. Um, I'm sure a lot of teams would say that probably because yeah. you, you, you build relationships and you love the people you know. But um, um, the reality of the NFL is you just yeah. don't know. Yeah. That's Kirk Cousins and K.J. Osborne with us last week in Las Vegas. There are the odds courtesy of DraftKings. Kirk Cousins' landing spot for 2024, currently the only negative territory favorite, the Vikings. He sticks around, bet 200 to win 100. And then the next, the Falcons, 3-1. to one. Steelers, 8-1, to one, equal with the Patriots and the Raiders. Longer shot the Commanders. That, I don't, I, I, I would take the Commanders off the board. And then a few others on there, Titans, Broncos, 49ers, Buccaneers. Um, Based upon conversations I had last week in the general vicinity of the time frame that we had Kirk Cousins and K.J. Osborne on the program, I would say that the Falcons and the Steelers are the two teams to watch if he doesn't Mm -hmm. stay with the Vikings. And Vikings, I haven't written this yet just because it's been a busy week. But Vikings, like, if you want this guy, and I don't know if you do, maybe you're just trying to make it look like, oh, darn, we tried, but it didn't work out. Don't be mad at us. We tried. If they want him, they're screwing this up. Because if they wait to see what someone else will offer before they make their best offer, they will have waited too long. At some point between Kirk Cousins and Mrs. Cousins, his wife, Julie, one of the two of them are both simultaneously are going to say, you know what? Let's go to the place that put the money on the table without feeling like they were forced to do it. Let's go to the place where it feels like we're wanted. It's not going to be easy to yeah. uproot the family, but let's go. Oh, and his wife grew up in Alpharetta, Georgia, and her parents still live there. The Vikings are playing a dangerous game of chicken here if they want him. If they want him, maybe they don't, and they're looking for a way to ease out of it. But if they want him, Ziggy, Mark, Kevin, Quasey, you're going to blow it. You need to get it done now. You definitely need to get it done before Mike McCartney, his agent, goes to Indianapolis and has all the tampering meetings that we know are going to occur. Because he's going to come out of Indy knowing exactly what the Falcons will pay, exactly what anyone else will pay, and it's going to be too late. I guarantee you got 10 days, Vikings. You got 10 days. The clock is ticking. You got 10 days. If you wait, Kirk's going to be gone. And if you don't want him, that's fine. But if you want him, you better get your asses moving. Well, look, I think that the Falcons would make a lot of sense, not just from those standpoints that you mentioned, but he'd be going to an offense that he would be pretty familiar with, right? Zach Robinson is the new offensive coordinator of the Atlanta Falcons under Raheem Morris. Where does he come from? The Los Angeles Rams. Where did Kevin O'Connell come from? The Los Angeles Rams. So, you know, for all of those reasons, the Falcons 
do look like a very attractive option. And then think about the the weapons that he would be playing with, right? And, you know, we've talked about this before. Oh, man, the Falcons have B. John Robinson and Drake London and Kyle Pitts and la, la, la. Like, they've got good dudes. It's just been a matter of, well, do you have the quarterback to distribute the ball? Do you have the offensive scheme that's right for that? So, man, if, if it's not the Vikings, the Falcons, I think, do make a lot of sense. And the Vikings better be thinking about how their fans are going to react to this because the Falcons are one of the worst teams he could go to because the ardent fan base, the members who have been locked in for a while, still vividly recall the 1998 championship game when the Falcons came to the Metrodome and beat the Vikings. So I don't know what their plan is. Whatever it is, if it is moving on from Kirk Cousins, they better start getting their fans to become, you know, comfortable with that if that's where it's going and if you want him you better get uncomfortable quickly about the prospect of waiting much longer to put the money on the table DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NBA and this season new customers deposit five dollars and get a bonus back of up to one thousand dollars if your first bet does not hit download the app and use the promo code PFT live when you sign up DraftKings Sportsbook, the crown is yours, and please always wager responsibly. More PFT Live right after this. Brandon Staley fired by the Chargers during the 2023 season. He was a candidate at one point to return to the Rams as defensive coordinator after the Falcons hired Raheem Morris to be the head coach. And I want to be clear on what we have said about this i'm not saying he's going to become the next 49ers defensive coordinator but there are people in league circles who believe that he will be could be and really at this point who else is there who else are you going to hire who else is available to become the next defensive coordinator of the san francisco 49ers given that steve wilkes was fired two days after the super bowl so we shall see miles And there will be plenty of 49ers fans not happy about Brandon Staley because they don't think about what Staley did as a defensive coordinator. They think about what he did as a head coach. And what was interesting about Staley as a head coach and defensive play caller, and we all knew that he was going to continue calling the defensive plays, so we don't have to ask that question, is that he was very, very into what he believed his system was, right? And so... The question is, if you go to the 49ers, can you adapt to what it is that they do? Or are you going to be very insistent that your system is going to work? I think that was part of why his defense didn't work with the Chargers, because he was too insistent on, I don't know, what this system is and how it's going to work. And it's going to do this and that. So that is the ultimate question. Obviously, look. He was really good with the Rams in 2020, right? You don't end up with the number one ranked defense in terms of points allowed and yards allowed without being good at your job. You also had Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald to build that thing around. So, you know, there's talent certainly with the 49ers, but I, I, I can understand why 49ers fans would not be the most excited about this as a hire, especially given what Kyle Shanahan said about, you know, wanting to get the defense back to, a level of what it was and how there was that continuity before um, with D'Amico Ryan's after Robert Sala. Most people believe there's no way Kyle Shanahan fired Steve Wilkes without knowing exactly what his next move is going to be. I still think it would be great story if he'd get Pete Carroll to come be the defensive coordinator. You want to run that Seattle cover three system, get the godfather of it, get Pete Carroll. That would be great. 
But we'll see. Maybe he really didn't know what he was going to do. Maybe he was so exasperated he just needed somebody other than Steve Wilkes because he spent way too much time worrying about the defense last year. That's what we surmised yesterday. We're going to take a break. In honor of Caitlin Clark becoming the all-time leading scorer in women's college basketball, we're going to do a draft of the best scorers in NFL history. We'll do that next here on PFT Live. Recovered by Gabby Marshall. Here comes Clark. How will she go for history? That was last night on Peacock. Caitlin Clark from way downtown becomes the all-time leading scorer in women's college basketball, which has caused us to adapt our draft to that topic, the all-time best scorers in NFL history. Miles Simmons, you are away. Can I just say something about Caitlin Clark, man? Like the, the audacity and the gumption to just pull up from that spot that <laughs> early on in the game and just say, yeah, this is how I'm doing this. Like, I'm breaking history in this way. That is crazy. That is awesome. So kudos, Caitlin Clark. That was freaking awesome. Um, all right, draft. Uh, number one pick. There can only be one pick if you're talking about top scores in NFL history, and that would be Jerry Rice. Right. I mean, what he did is legendary, right? The way that he was able to do things for the 49ers. I mean, there was nobody better in terms of scoring, especially in the playoffs. And that's why it's crazy what Travis Kelsey now has done with Patrick Mahomes in terms of making all the catches that he's made uh, in the postseason. But nobody, nobody ever did it better than Jerry Rice. And so that is why he is, of course, my top pick in this draft. That would have been my top pick, but since I have to go second, what I am going to apply is a very linear and literal approach to the assignment that we have been given. The all-time leading scorer in NFL history would presumably be the all-time best scorer in NFL history, and that would be Adam Vinatieri with 2,673 points. You want points? He gives you points. More than anybody ever scored in the entire history of the National Football League. So because you took Jerry Rice, as I figured you would, I'll go Adam Vinatieri. Okay. I mean, that's a very fair pick, right? And, you know, he's obviously a legendary kicker, great kicker, done amazing things in his career. Um, but, you know, I will go with somebody now that I actually watched playing when I was growing up since this is like, you know, we're 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 in a category of places where it's like, man, I my knowledge is a little bit more limited based on my uh, limited age. And yeah, that is me calling you old. But I'll go with Ladanian Tomlinson, right? Because when he was playing at the highest level that he was with the Chargers, there was nobody more effective at scoring touchdowns. Right. You look at the things that he did in his MVP season. It was unbelievable. So that's the kind of guy where I look at and I'm like, all right, if I if I need a running back and I'm down by the goal line, and I want to score. Who else do you want other than maybe Jerome Bettis because, you know, he's going to burrow his way in there. But LaDainian Tomlinson had a nose for the end zone. He, I think, deserves to be on the list of scores. Next one for me, and this one is about versatility of scoring. And when I was a kid, this is a guy I saw play. He was at the tail end of his career. 
He played until he was 46. He had over 2,000 points, 2,002 when he retired, and I thought that was so cool that he broke that barrier. He held the record for all-time scoring for a while. He's now down to number seven on the list. But George Blanda, who played quarterback and kicker, 236 touchdown passes in his career, nine rushing touchdowns, and I have the numbers right here, 959 extra points and 335 field goals made. Not a great completion percentage or accuracy percentage, 52.3%. That would not, in today's NFL, allow you to be a kicker for very long. But this was back in the day where they kicked it straight on and the wind took it or whatever took it wherever it went. (laughs) 2,002 points for George Blanda, who did it both with kicking and with throwing and on nine occasions running. Well, that makes kind of makes me feel like I should go auto Graham. But I'm going to go with somebody more contemporary that's Marshall Falk because of the versatility, right? Talking about somebody who can not just run it in for you, but the way he caught it too. Like greatest show on turf. Talk about the, the guys that made that engine run, really. Orlando Pace, left tackle. Obviously, Kurt Warner at quarterback. You had great receivers in Isaac Bruce and Torrey Holt. But Marshall Falk, the way that he could catch it out of the backfield, the way that he could run it, one of three players to, uh, to have – a season with both 1,000 yards receiving and rushing. So obviously that's not necessarily scoring, but he is still on this list because he's got 136 total touchdowns, and that is a ton of touchdowns. Another one of those three is Christian McCaffrey, who's not my pick, but he is today's equivalent of Marshall Falk and LaDainian Tomlinson, where you can count on one or two touchdowns from him every single game. Do you know the third player with 1,000 rushing and receiving yards in the same season? Do you know? I want to say know? it's Gail Sayers. Do you know? Roger Craig. Roger Craig, Roger Craig. Damn it. And I'm tempted to go Gail Sayers with this one because he has the record for the most touchdowns in a game, and that was very – but I, I'm going to have some fun here because, as Buddy Ryan once said of Chris Carter, all he does is catch touchdowns. Well, that would make him – one of the all-time great scorers because all he does is catch touchdowns. And he ultimately did catch 131. And again, I'm just having some fun here. My official pick is Chris Carter. My unofficial pick is Gail Sayers because of the ability to score like he did in that game back in 1965 when I was alive, but I was just a few months old. We'll take a break and wrap up this Friday edition of PFT Live right after this. We talked yesterday about Chris Jones and the comments he made at the Chiefs parade and rally about being with the team this year, next year, and the year after. It made me think that progress had been made toward a three-year deal that would keep him in Kansas City. I did a little poking around after that, and that was not something that is on deck, at least not yet. No new deal anytime soon. I think that his camp wants to see how this plays out. Step one Will the Chiefs apply the franchise tag? Somewhere around $32 million would be that tag. Either they do or they don't. If they do, that sets the framework for a multi-year deal. So step one, Miles, will they apply the franchise tag? If not, he's got a free shot to the open market. And they have to figure out what they're going to do with Jerry Sneed. He's made it clear he wants to be paid, and he wonders whether or not they're going to have enough cap space to keep both him and Chris Jones. 
It's a great question. And frankly, it's something that the Chiefs obviously have to figure out. I mean, those two guys are two elite defensive players. I can't really imagine the Kansas City Chiefs without Chris Jones. And it's hard for me to imagine that defense, too, without somebody like Legereus Need. Rush and cover go hand in hand. It's a big reason why they finished as well as they did this year and won the Super Bowl. If they don't have both of those guys next year, Mike, that defense is not going to be as good. And if both those guys get to the market, I remember the dynamic back in the 90s where everybody wanted to break up the Cowboys and they would overpay mm-hmm. those players to get them away from Dallas. We'll see how motivated other teams are to get the Chiefs in a position where they aren't as good as they were this year. You take away Snead or Jones, you got a chance to do it. Miles, thanks again for getting up early. Everyone else, thanks for some of your time. We're off next week, but we'll still be around. 21 Gambler.